1: Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
2: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
0: The world is full of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth as they lift the lid and cautiously peer
3: inside... The Box of Oddities. So we are in our hotel in Guayaquil, Ecuador. Agus is rolling about on the bed. Uh, somebody's outside the window shouting through a bullhorn. And we just finished some kind of delicious potato cheese soup. I think that sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah,
2: that's been our day so far.
3: Pretty much it, yeah. Yeah. The flight was amazing. Haggis was just incredible.
2: Haggis is a champion.
3: He won travel MVP for the uh, for the entire week. The guy was amazing. The he really was. The
2: airline is changing their mascot to Haggis.
3: They're calling him El Perrito.
2: It's funny. He just perked up when you said that. Like <laughs> well, he, he was like, he knows, yes, yeah. I'm being summoned.
3: I'm ready for my uh, photo shoot. We have so many stories to tell you guys uh, about the trip and uh, about the, uh, well, the... <laughs> The unfortunate incident with our moving company. Uh, Amazing story. It really is. But we really don't have time to get into it just yet. I want to save that one for the next episode.
2: Do you have a story for me?
3: I do. Today's episode takes us all the way back to the end of the last millennium, which sounds like a really long time ago. Back in the 1900s. (laughs) 23 years ago. This is a story that shook the tranquil community just a few short miles from where we used to live in Orlando, the town of DeBerry, Florida. We have family there.
2: We absolutely do. I've been there.
3: This is a story that features not only a brutal crime, but also a very unique attempt at evidence disposal. It adds a whole different layer of eeriness.
2: Okay. Should our family be moving? Are they, are they <laughs> yeah, safe?
3: We should, no, they're okay now. I think, yeah, this was a while ago. It was 1999, in fact. Mark Vilella was a licensed funeral director and embalmer. Now, before we start, let's take a moment to meet Mark and his wife, Excelli. Mark had made his living dealing with death, preparing bodies for their final rest, and providing some solace to grieving families. At work, he was known to be meticulous and composed traits often associated with his profession. Outside of work, he was described by some as charismatic, yet others noticed an undercurrent of volatility, and that hinted, in their minds anyway, at a different side to Mark. Okay. His wife, Exeli, on the other hand, was remembered as a vivacious and caring woman. She was a loving mother and a dedicated wife. Their relationship, like many, had its shares of ups and downs, some reports suggested their marriage was fraught with tension and the arguments between them were not uncommon. However, to most outsiders, they seemed like any other couple just navigating the ebb and flow of marital life. So it was the summer of 1999. And normally a serene atmosphere falls on DeBerry, but it was shattered when Exeli disappeared without a trace. This vibrant, caring woman was suddenly gone okay. and her absence was felt deeply within the close-knit community.
2: <sighs>
3: Mark reported his wife's disappearance, claiming that they had they'd had a big fight at home, a heated argument.
2: Oh, and she just walked off.
3: And she walked off. Yeah,
2: that tends to be the way. Or she went to her sister's house.
3: According to Mark, she had stormed out of the house on that fateful night in August and did not return home mm-hmm. and hadn't since. She left behind her car, her personal belongings, and most notably their young son. Mark said that the marital spat had escalated and uh, that had led Excelli to leave, looking for some space to kind of clear her head. Yet to those who knew her, especially as a devoted mother, the idea of her leaving behind her child for an extended period seemed a little out of her character. Mm -hmm. The inconsistencies between Exelly's known behavior and the circumstances of her disappearance, of course, you know, according to her husband, raised some eyebrows. Furthermore, there was no evidence to suggest that she had planned on leaving. All of her personal items were there. Her car remained at the home. There were no significant withdrawals from the bank account. So to the authorities, Mark's account of Exeli's sudden departure began to appear less like a wife taking a break after a marital dispute and more like a crafted narrative designed to explain her abrupt absence.
2: Was his story just that she went for a walk and didn't come back or was he saying that she took off?
3: He's, he was saying she took off. Oh, okay. But with no signs of her and the inconsistencies that began creeping into Mark's story, the investigation began to shift, and the spotlight started to turn onto Mark himself. As the investigation progressed, investigators noticed inconsistencies in Mark's statements. He was unable to provide a clear and consistent timeline of events leading up to Excelli's disappearance. Now, this is something you're really good at when we're watching Forensic Files.
2: Aw, thanks.
3: (laughs) You follow the timeline meticulously. Oh, yeah, she said that, but then how how did the spray paint end up there? I remember
2: that episode.
3: (laughs) (laughs) These inconsistencies, coupled with the mounting circumstantial evidence, started to paint Mark not as a worried husband, but a suspect in his wife's disappearance. Another thing that further raised investigators' suspicions was Mark's personal life. post Exelly's disappearance. Rather swift turn of events, surprisingly, Mark began a romantic relationship with a new woman <sighs> shortly after his wife went missing. Well, that's not, of course, a definitive sign of guilt.
2: Of course not.
3: His actions were seen as unusual for a man whose wife was supposedly just missing.
2: Right. It wasn't that if the narrative is she's still out there yeah. and you are mm. with someone else. yeah, Suspicious.
3: It wasn't long before police began to connect the dots. At the time of her disappearance, Mark... Here's where it gets weird, freaks. Mark had arranged and overseen a funeral for an 89-year-old woman named Marjorie Hutchinson. And it was a closed casket service. Mm -hmm. A detail that would later raise some suspicions and questions by investigators. Following a hunch... That the evidence gathered so far, the police theorized that Mark had exploited the situation to hide Exeli's body. In a shocking act of sacrilege, authorities believed that Mark had placed Exeli's body in the same casket as Marjorie Hutchinson, and then had buried them together. Oof. Now, if that was true... This desecration would turn the solemn resting place of a person who was innocent of all crimes into a crime scene itself and the sacred act of burial into a means of concealing a murder.
2: Can you imagine being that family, too? And you get a phone call and it's like, oh, hey, so.
3: Yeah, here's the thing. Um, And that's what happened. They called the family.
2: Regarding Marjorie, rest in peace. um, She can't. Because we have some digging to do.
3: Yeah, there might be somebody lying on top of her or under her. We're not sure yet. Backed by a court order, the police proceeded the grim task of exhuming Marjorie Hutchinson's casket. As reported by the Orlando Sentinel, this process was handled with the utmost care and reverence, conducted by a team of forensic experts and seasoned investigators who understood the weight of their duty. On that somber day in September, they delicately unearthed the casket, the air heavy with anticipation. The casket, its serenity disturbed, was gradually brought to the surface. Every detail was meticulously observed. Every movement cautiously performed. They were aware that each step was as critical as the evidence it might expose. So they get the casket to the surface and they take it to a um, secure location. And they opened it. As they expected, they found the remains of Marjorie Hutchinson. But there was also a second body. Ah. Exile Villella. Their hypothesis, as shocking as it was, had proven to be accurate.
2: Now, did this guy just not perform a lot of burials? Because how did they know that it was Marjorie's
3: the, grave? It was the timing of Marjorie's funeral. Got it. It was a closed casket affair. Mm-hmm. So their hypothesis was correct. Exley's body was concealed within the same casket as Marjorie, buried deep within the earth. This act left even the most seasoned investigators stunned. The tragedy of Exley's disappearance had morphed into not only a murder case, but also a tale of profound desecration and deception.
2: I, I guess if you're willing to kill someone, you know, popping their body in with someone else mm. really isn't that big of a deal.
3: no. And the fact that he had access to Mm. all of the things to make that happen, it's not surprising that investigators started to look at, let me see if we have any closed casket uh, funerals at about the same time period. Right. But the discovery of her body marked just the beginning of a new intricate phase, the autopsy. As reported by the Orlando Sentinel, the medical examiner's office faced the daunting task of piecing together the circumstances of her death, from a silent narrative that her body offered—is that too flowery? Did
2: you get like a thesaurus I got a thesor- recently? I did.
3: I got. I got a thesaurus. What's another word for for thesaurus? Is there another word for word thes- book?
2: <laughs> Synonym book.
3: The autopsy report was as revealing as it was chilling. The medical examiner determined that uh, she had been the victim of a violent attack, mm. suffering fatal stab wounds in her back.
2: Oh my gosh.
3: This brutal finding cut through any lingering hope that her death might have been an accident and he just overreacted. Yeah. The report indicated that the stab wound was inflicted with a significant amount of force, severing one of Exele's ribs, in fact. This finding, of course, suggests a level of anger and intent that's consistent more with a personal attack mm-hmm. as opposed to just sort of, you know, a random, a random attack. It also sadly revealed that Exalee was pregnant
0: oh. at the
3: time of her death. Heartbreaking revelation. The combination of these findings along with the circumstances surrounding Exile's disappearance and the subsequent discovery of her body pointed to uh, well an accusatory finger to Mark, obviously. Yeah. His uh, inconsistent narratives and the swift start of a new relationship, and of course all of the evidence and uh, the timing of marjorie hutchinson's funeral it added up
2: so it was he had a new lady in mind and then found out that she was his wife was pregnant is that what happened
3: it's unclear what the exact motive was it could have been a combination of all those things the one thing that he did say to authorities was that he wanted a divorce and didn't want to pay for it Oh, wow. So I guess one could theorize that he had this other relationship going. Mm -hmm. He wanted out of that relationship, but he knew it was going to cost his ass. That's just speculation on my part. So armed with this damning evidence, they arrested Mark on October 1st, 1999. He was charged with first degree murder in what now has become a very morbid tale of love betrayal. And it's a disturbing misuse of trust. His trial began later in 2000, in the year 2000. The narrative that emerged with all of the evidence presented too convincing a case. Everything was too consistent, too compelling. All of the evidence pointed to a guilty verdict. As you can imagine, this trial was closely watched at the time. The jury found Mark guilty of first-degree murder. The once-trusted funeral director was now a convicted murderer. His horrifying actions... Casting a shadow on a little community that we love. DeBerry's is a a nice little town.
2: I can't imagine it took the jury long either because... No.
3: Wow. It did not. It reached its anticipated conclusion in late 2000 after deliberating the mound of evidence the jury made up of men and women from the community. Uh, Well, they found him guilty of first degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. In the end... It's a fitting punishment for a man who had not only taken a life, but had desecrated the solemn rituals of death. His actions had transformed a place of respect and remembrance into a crime scene causing a ripple of pain through the community that they'd struggle to forget. My sources, the Orlando Sentinel, they covered this big time. Mm, I I pulled from five different stories from the Sentinel. Also, transcripts from Court TV, Case File, and The Mirror. The oldest recorded message is from an ancient Sumerian text called, The Instructions of Shuruppak. This 4,500-year-old text reads, quote, Do not pass judgment when you're drinking beer. Advice that echoes down through the ages.
2: Alice sent us a message uh, regarding your story about rods.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: Um, Alice said, I heard of rods ages ago in the 90s, and I thought of a sci-fi story where a type of creature in the air never thought of us as a threat because they moved so fast. That to them, we were like trees or moss, and they were too fast for us to see. And once we developed a plane that went so fast we could see them, they realized that we were actually sentient, so they saw us as a threat. <laughs> of course, they reacted the way we would if a tree suddenly found a way to get up and run around.
3: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm yeah. going to research that, find out what that is. That's, that sounds right in my wheelhouse. Mike sent us an email. Hello, Cat and Jethro. Been listening for a long time and catching up on the latest episodes. This is the first time I've sent in an email, but the shadow people talk, uh, topic really struck a chord with me. When I was a child, my grandmother performed a, quote, exorcism on my father. Oh, my gosh. He was an addict, addicted to most drugs, alcohol, and, and just an all-around bad man. The exorcism was thought to help rid the demons in him. I remember when she was performing the ceremony on him, her eyes went back in her head and she was speaking gibberish. My father's body was trembling from, I'm assuming, the exorcism. I was told to get a glass of water for him after it was done. I was coming back in to the hallway and I saw a figure that stood to the top of the ceiling. It had to duck because it was so tall.
2: Oh, my God. It
3: had what looked like armor on, horns from his shoulders and on his head. Its feet were backwards, and its face was distorted with what looked like a human face with its skin removed, and only muscles were exposed. The figure turned to me, put its hand up in a shushing, gestured smile, and proceeded to walk back into my father's room. I screamed and yelled that someone was in the house. Fast forward a few years, I developed severe sleep paralysis when I would have sleep paralysis almost every night for a year or two. That figure was the same figure that would show up every time, Duh. smiling and giggling while moving around my room where I couldn't move, but watch in horror as this thing had free rein to do what it wanted. It calmed down for a few years after that and then sometime in my teens one night was extremely bad the figure came up to my bed from my feet i could feel its hands as it climbed up my bed toward my face oh my god i can still see its face and horrible smile in my head as i write this it proceeded to laugh and rub its hand on my face like a mother would its child i still remember that it smelled of decay its hot breath smelled of rotten eggs and the breath was as hot as if it was coming from an open oven door. Ugh. I think you did an episode on sleep paralysis, but I can't remember if I listened to it or not. But the shadow people struck a chord with me and gave me shivers, and I'm still shivering writing this. I'm currently 32, and I'm still scared of that thing, even to this day.
2: Ah, uh, well, yeah.
3: There are more memories of this thing, but I don't want to take too much of your time. Thanks for everything that you two do... And the deep dives and the weird, disturbing facts that you bring us from this big world. Flying my freak flag, Mike, well, I can't think of anything disturbing we've ever shared that tops that story. No. 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 No.
1: Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas. Plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast.
0: like that one just now this is the box of oddities
2: a few days before christmas 2003 antonino also known as
3: nino pezzino was in his home nino pezzino nino pezzino oh my god what an awesome name it's pretty great it's like something you say when when something awesome happens nino pezzino (laughs) but i'm guessing something awesome didn't happen to them
2: (laughs) Well, Nino was in his home, in Canito, Sicily, when his television exploded.
3: That's terrifying. Yeah.
2: Some say it was a fuse box, but it's really super not the point. Mm-hmm. The point is he was at home and something in his home just randomly
3: exploded. Was he watching it at the time?
2: The fuse box? Not sure. No. It seems the, like a weird pastime.
3: The, the TV, silly.
2: But in fact, homes all along the village's main street, the Via Mare, were experiencing really strange events. Air conditioners burst into flames. Wow. Kitchen appliances and computers smoking, melting, bursting into flames.
3: Did the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man show up?
2: <laughs> there is no Dana.
3: Only <laughs> Zool. Hey, 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 stop. stop. <laughs> Alexa. Shut up.
2: Be nice. She's helpful.
3: She stepped on my line, though, and I said it with such conviction.
2: I know. You did a great job. Thanks. On December 23rd, 2003, the New York Times reported about the series of puzzling electrical shorts. Unexplained fires and smoky outbursts drove 17 families from their Canito, Italy homes when they were set ablaze. Wow. Canito is a village and civil parish on the Italian municipality of Coronia in Sicily. These fires were unique because they seemed to ignite spontaneously, without any apparent source of ignition. The phenomenon captured international attention and led to various theories and investigations.
3: certainly unusual behavior for a major appliance.
2: At the time, some villagers speculated that the fires were caused by supernatural or paranormal forces. Others believed it was a result of extraterrestrial activity, or electromagnetic interference. Hmm. And why wouldn't they? At least one resident claimed he saw his unplugged air conditioner cord start to fizzle and burst into flames.
3: Okay, okay, yeah, ghosts.
2: And as the days went on, it seemed to get worse. Fires were starting spontaneously. Kitchen appliances shorted, computers, electric door locks were rattling, cell phones would ring when no one was calling... Even in cars, door locks and windows were up and down and up and down. What the hell? Now, more grounded theories suggested that the fires were caused by a combination of factors, including electrical malfunctions, possibly some sort of methane gas emission, and possibly arson. But the largely Roman Catholic population was pretty sure something else was going on. Mr. Pizzino, quoted in the New York Times, said, Whoever believes in the good believes in the bad. I'm Catholic. I believe in the devil, and I don't know why the devil is here.
3: Why would the devil show up in Italy and and mess with people's car locks?
2: Mostly he was just starting fires.
3: I see. Well, okay, maybe the fire part, but I don't get it with a door lock thing.
2: Well, then you could carjack someone or (laughs) steal their change. Okay. Or their bag full of... Makeup and camera named Pot Roast.
3: Ah, uh, that was your personal experience.
2: It was. It was a sad time.
3: I love the fact that you named your camera Pot Roast. Sad that it got the Pot Roast got stolen, but
2: Pot Roast was returned though.
3: Oh, that's right. Yeah,
2: in in my bag with my makeup that had been used and a handful of loose blueberries.
3: It was a very weird time. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the details involved yeah. in that case. Yeah,
2: I was wearing heels. Otherwise, I know for sure I would have caught that guy. <laughs> anyway, what made the situation? Wait, in- wait,
3: stop for just a minute, okay. though. Okay, let's go back to the camera named Pot Roast. Yeah, this reminds me of the names that you give your animals on uh, Stardew Valley.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: let's let's talk about some of the names of the creatures on your farm in Stardew Valley.
2: I have um, several animals, and a lot of them have really nice names. So I'm not sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have a cow named One Eight Seven Seven Cars for Kids. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I have a chicken named Doorknob. I like that. Thank you. I have a pig named Fart.
3: Is it any wonder I love this woman? <laughs> Is it any wonder? Anyway, back to your story, sorry.
2: What made the situation intriguing was the persistence and frequency of the fires, despite the efforts to prevent them. There were more reports of appliances, like washing machines and refrigerators, bursting into flames, even when disconnected from power sources. The fires also affected furniture and other objects, including a room full of wedding gifts. Hmm. This led to the evacuation of some residents and the deployment of experts to investigate what was going on. A telecom expert brought in told the press that electrical wires that spontaneously combust would have telltale markings at their cores. Upon his own investigation, though, he claimed that the wires weren't damaged due to a malfunction. Hmm. Multiple scientific investigations were conducted involving experts in engineering, physics, and other fields... Mayor Pedro Spinato, together with Italy's Federal Emergency Management Agency, evacuated the residents to a hotel in a neighboring village. The city of Palermo paid to keep the residents housed and fed. As a practical matter, the scientists took notes. They mapped the strange occurrences. They used Geiger counters and interviewed witnesses. And collectively, the suggestion was an abnormal increase in the electrical field.
3: But what was the source?
2: The first three months of 2004, residents reported 92 fires. It wow. was so dire that the country's electrical company cut power to the village. This would, according to some, allow officials time to regroup and clean up while getting to the bottom of this. But it didn't stop the fires. Hmm. This is where the honorary president of the International Association of Exorcists comes in to the story.
3: I didn't realize there was such an organization.
2: Mm -hmm. The Guardian reported that that man claimed there was only one explanation for the fires. The priests of the parish ought today to go and bless all the houses that have witnessed paranormal phenomena, because that is what they are.
3: Clearly something mysterious is going on here, but... In this case, I wouldn't jump immediately to the devil.
2: No, he said what is happening is what normally happens when the devil enters the lives of those who let him in.
3: My mind goes more to secret government experiments causing huge surges in electromagnetic energy.
2: That is one of the leading theories that it did have to do with government experiments.
3: Excellent. Yeah. I love it when I'm right.
2: Some residents, though, claimed that there was a connection between the fires and the train schedule. There's a train that goes from Palermo to Messina, and it goes through this little village, and the tracks run behind the town's only road. And residents said that when the train roared past, the fires became more frequent.
3: So the fires lined up with the train schedule? Yeah. Can I tell you how satisfying that is to me i
2: i bet it is oh. however despite extensive efforts no definitive explanation was found for the fires of canito di caronia one possible explanation is that the intense pressure beneath the crust of this volcanic region of sicily led to underground movements releasing electrical energy that eventually reached the village According to scientists, when these highly charged ions interacted with man-made electronic devices, sparks might have been generated, particularly due to the village's proximity to transmission lines and railroad tracks. But there are those who also say "Ah, atmospheric issues. Uh,
3: Yeah. Swamp gas.
2: Yeah. Oh, definitely swamp (laughs) gas. Some suggested that it was An unusual combination of factors, and that's why it was so difficult to pinpoint Mm. what was going on. It may not have been just the train, but the train plus the volcanic region, plus the electrical lines, plus the blah, 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 blah. Over time, the fires gradually subsided and the intensity decreased. And in June 2004, residents were returned to their homes on VMR. The conclusion of investigators was that the fires were arson, though no one was held responsible for those. Gianfranco Allegra of the Italian Center for Electrotechnical Experimentation, though, in Milan, says no one knows what caused these fires. They are inexplicable.
3: Wow, that's fascinating. I've never heard this before.
2: Right? Well, in 2014, the fires unexpectedly resurfaced. Shut up. Yeah. Locals reported incidents of furniture, folded clothes, even a car mysteriously catching fire.
3: Wait, folded clothes burst into flame? Yeah. Flaming laundry? Mm Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Were they hot pants? Oh, I miss playing volleyball. That reminded you of playing volleyball?
2: Yeah, we used to play a team that we called hot pants.
3: Oh, I see. Did you beat them? No. You didn't beat the Hot pants
2: pants was like the best. Oh, were they? Yeah. And they had some really cool kids on the team, but they all had like volleyball shorts, you know, those Mm -hmm. little, those little hot pants. Oh, wow. And so every time we had to play them, we were like, oh God, we've got to play hot pants. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I miss volleyball.
3: You you guys did win the city tournament once though.
2: Once. Yeah. Like
3: 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I'm still basking in that glory.
2: Surveillance cameras were installed throughout the village, and on March 5th, 2015, Giuseppe Pizzino, the son of Nino Pizzino, Mm. was taken into custody. No! Yeah. His father was also the subject of investigation regarding their involvement in starting the fires. What? Investigators concluded that the Pizzinos were deliberately setting the fires in order to obtain government assistance. Now, it's worth noting that Giuseppe was never arrested or charged for the initial fires that started in 2003.
3: So do you think that this was kind of a copycat thing? I do. Mm. Yeah, well, they saw that they could get government assistance. Yep. And then the fires stopped and they stopped getting government assistance. Yep. Might as well start them fires up again.
2: Since the cause of those fires remains officially unknown, they are still labeled as
3: unexplained. And it's been years now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Great stuff, sweetie.
2: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate you. I get my information from all that's interesting, the Telegraph and the New York Times.
3: Well, as we record this, it is Saturday the 15th. Tomorrow, we head from Cuenca, I mean, from Guayaquil, to Cuenca, which is up in the Andes. And uh, that's the la- last leg of our trip. It's gonna be so exciting to kind of unpack all of these suitcases. Everything we have is in storage or in five suitcases that we brought.
2: And I, because of some weird things that happened in our last days in our apartment, I was not able to help pack these suitcases. So I, really, I, I have no idea what I brought to Ecuador. You
3: know, well, I, I did most of the packing because of, like you said, the unforeseen circumstances. That again is another story that we will tell. (laughs) We'll update you on everything coming up in the next episode or two. Uh, Some of it you're just not going to freaking believe. Anyway, look forward to that and we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks for being on this journey with us and keep flying that freak flag.
3: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be
0: known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage the box on Facebook at facebook.com box of Oddities podcast on Twitter at box of Oddities and Instagram at box of Oddities podcast copyright 2023 all rights reserved
2: On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed.
1: Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your the neighbourhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.